The following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Well, uh, this year for, uh, for me was uh, a milestone year uh, because uh, this year I, I turned 40 this past March. And uh, in all honesty, I don't, I don't feel 40. I, I still feel very young at heart. I feel like I'm a 28 years old in my heart. But um, when you turn 40, there's now real objective proof that you're no longer young. And, and so it's been really hard for me to accept that. Um, it's been hard for me to even say to others when they ask me how old I, how old I am that I'm 40 years old. Uh, one thing that I, I find myself doing as I'm getting older is I struggle with, I'm doing more comparing of myself with others. Um, when I watch TV, I, I, I ask how, I, I think about how old they are and, and where I was at that time and whether I accomplished the same things that they did at that age. Uh, at work this past week, I was at a, a training session where our vice president went up and, and talked about our company goals, and she was very eloquent and very good. And, and I find myself searching on LinkedIn to see how, how old I thought she was and where I was in comparison in my career to where she was. And I found myself sometimes getting a little discouraged when uh, I meet people that are much more accomplished than I am uh, and perhaps are the same age or younger than I am. Sometimes I, I get a little encouraged or I get a little bit happy if I, if I find that I'm a little bit more accomplished and, and, and that I'm younger, perhaps, than some of the others in my workplace. You may have uh, recently seen this on Facebook, but I challenged our head pastor, Dr. Steve, to a race at the retreat. And I was very discouraged <laughs> to find out that I lost a foot race to a man 10 years older than I am. Um, and um, it was really depressing, especially because my good friend Joe decided to post it on Facebook for the whole world to see. You know, one, one statement that I hear in my head often that brings out a lot of this worry and discouragement is uh, this, this statement. And it says, uh, I should be uh, further along than where I am today in blank. I should be further along than where I am today in blank. And I want to ask you, do you struggle also with these thoughts? Um, perhaps when you think about your overall fitness level, I should be a lot more fit than I am today. Or maybe your position at work or your salary, how much you have in the bank account, how much you have in your 401k. One, one thing that I'm thinking about a lot these days is how much I've got stashed away in my kids' college savings. I feel like I should have a lot more in there than I do, and I worry about that. You know, in the areas that I just mentioned, I know that for some areas I feel okay, and others I feel like I'm really behind. But when it actually comes to my spiritual life, 
when it comes to where I was, where, how I am in my spiritual growth, to be honest, for much of my Christian life, for much of my Christian life, there was a constant nagging feeling that I should be a lot more spiritual. I should be a lot more mature. I should be a lot more disciplined. I should be a lot more holier than perhaps where I was. I found myself constantly struggling with that thought throughout my Christian life. You know, my Christian life, like yours, perhaps started out with a lot of passion and excitement. In the beginning, I was riding high with optimism, with this newfound passion for God. And I'm going to illustrate in the slide, but in in the beginning, I was excited at the prospect of spiritual growth, and I, I saw the ideal in Scripture, and I was taught the ideal in Scripture, that this is what I'm supposed to be as a man of God. And then I saw where I was spiritually. And there was this gap. But the gap felt manageable. This gap, we can call it the sanctification gap. The gap between where I know I was spiritually and then the ideal man that I knew God wanted me to be. But you know, uh, as I got older, what I found out was that God started to show more and more of who I was and my self-awareness grew and I realized the gap became bigger and bigger. Especially when I got married, God showed me just how selfish and immature I was. And then when I became a parent and a father for the first time, I began to see how far I was to the man that God had called me to be. What started out with a lot of excitement and passion for me started to become tempered into sincere attempts to, to trying to know God and to grow spiritually. And then that eventually led to feelings of guilt and shame that I, I perhaps am not growing enough, that perhaps that I'm not disciplined enough, I'm not trying enough. And it led to a lot of frustration. Sure, there were seasons and flashes of, of discipline and, and, and a lot of passion for God. But eventually, in time, as I got older and older, I began to feel a sense of desperation that no matter how hard I tried, no matter how disciplined I was, no matter how much I prayed, that I would never really close this gap. That they were certain parts of me that would never change. I began to look with admiration at certain super-Christians that I thought, gosh, they just seemed a lot more disciplined than I was, a lot more, they had a lot more self-control, a lot more of God. And perhaps they just had something that I didn't. And I I put on a good show at church, and I I put on a good show, but when I really came to Evaluate where I was spiritually, there was a sense of resignation that, that there were parts of my life that, that no matter how much I tried, that wouldn't change. There were moments when people like you know, my wife would point out things to me and, and would, after many years of marriage, would say, gosh, you still haven't changed in this area. And, and I didn't like hearing that, but I knew it was true. You know? And it was hard to hear, but... It led to places where I, I began to be a lot more frustrated, a lot more discouraged that 
I was not further along in my Christian life than I should be. You know, it was in this place of desperation um, where God started to lead me down and show me a new path and brought into my life pastors and mentors and teachers who walk alongside me. And today's passage is a passage that God has used to show me a new paradigm, a new picture of the Christian life. And I want to share with you today a passage that has been so encouraging to me and to my life, a passage that I think about often as I now walk with Christ. The passage comes from Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 30, and it's up here on the screen if you don't have your Bibles. Let me read it for us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 30. It reads, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, if there was a list of you know, top ten Christian verses that you see on Christian posters, this, would, this verse would probably be one of those verses, right? Come to me, all who are weary, and I'll give you rest. Such a feel-good verse. And it seems like Jesus is calling those who are laboring with a heavy burden to come to him for relief. And in this verse was where I came to the first realization that I, I learned about this new life in Christ. I began to see, and this is the first point here, is that in our life with God, if, if our life with God consistently feels like a heavy burden. We are not living the life that Jesus wants for us. If our life with God consistently feels like a heavy burden, we are not living the life Jesus wants for us. In other words, if the primary emotion, the primary feeling that you associate with your walk with God the primary feeling that you get when you hear a sermon and you feel like you should do something, the primary feeling that comes when you hear the question, how are you doing spiritually? If that primary emotion is one of a burden and guilt, then it's time to reevaluate because it is not the life that Christ offers to us. Now, if someone had said this to my 20-year-old self when I just left college It probably would have really confused me because my understanding, my understanding, my paradigm of the Christian life was that it was not supposed to be easy, that it was hard, that it was a narrow path, and it was only for those who who were able to die to themselves, that were able to beat their bodies and carry the cross, only for those that have considered the cost of following Christ, those that had learn to love God above your father, mother, wife, and children, and even their own life. So the question is, how do we marry these 
passages. How do we bring these passages together? One says, it is hard. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to die to yourself. And this other passage here seems to say, it's, come on to me. It's easy and light. You know, to, to fully understand this passage, I think it's important that we see these verses in the proper context. That we see often that these verses are, are misquoted. I had always thought before that these verses was really talking about God giving us rest from the daily struggles of life. Perhaps you had a hard day and you had a, you had a lot of work and you're tired and you come home and so you say, come on to Christ and he will give you rest. And then you reminded yourself to go on to Jesus. But when we study this passage, we see that Jesus is not referring to people here who are tired from their daily stress of life as those who, are heavy, those who labor and are heavy laden in verse 28. But in, in fact, when you look at the whole of chapter 11, Jesus is lamenting at those who are not able to receive the message of the kingdom. And he, he is calling out, he's lamenting and calling out to these Jews that are rejecting his message. And the question is, what is causing this unbelief? What is causing this rejection? What was the stumbling block for those who could not accept Christ's message to the kingdom? Who are those that are laboring that Christ is calling them to give rest to? In this passage, Jesus is, is actually speaking to those Jews who are laboring to obey all the laws of the Old Testament. He's specifically talking to those who are carrying the heavy burden of obeying all the teachings that are put forth in the, in the Torah and also by all the teachers of the law and the religious leaders and the Pharisees. You know, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, later on, Jesus says to the Pharisees, and when he rebukes them, he says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Later on in Acts chapter 15, Peter rebukes the religious leaders of the time in Jerusalem and says, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Jesus in this passage, is offering rest to those who are carrying the heavy yoke of the law of Moses, to all those who are trying to know God through obedience to a complex system of spiritual activities. That's who he's calling out to when he says, Come to me, all who labor in a heavy burden. My, uh, after my sophomore year in college, I went on this uh, mission trip to New Mexico. And one of, the, one of the activities that we did, if you can show the slide, and I couldn't find a good picture. This is a, a clip, a, a screenshot of a YouTube video. But one of, one of the activities that we did was they had this really heavy cross. I mean, it was huge. It was really tall, and it must have weighed over like 200 pounds. And we were... As a, as, a, as a team spiritual activity, we were told to, to carry this cross 
and to experience what Christ himself experienced, and to go as far as we can before we couldn't go anymore. And it was a, a very emotional experience for a lot of our team members. But you know, for me, it was, it was very, I had a lot of conflicted feelings. On one part, I was trying to uh, think about the suffering of Christ and all that he endured for my sake. But that, that other part of me was thinking, I should go as far as I can. Because I should at least go further than the girls on my team, you know. And we had some very strong girls that were going really far with this thing. And so, you know, and I was like probably the biggest guy on the team. And so I was trying to go as far as I could, you know, while still trying to feel the sufferings of Christ. And yet it was this weird experience for me, you know. Um, I, I was just telling myself, don't wimp out. You know, don't, don't stop, just keep on going. But it was so heavy. I tell you, it was so heavy. And, um, but I, I think I, I did a respectable distance. Uh, you know, that, that, that illustration is a, is a good example of um, how I thought of my Christian life. You know, uh, we, we all have heard the many, many messages on the, on the dangers of legalism. And, you know, there, there, I've never struggled in my life, in my Christian life, with the feeling that somehow my righteous activity, my good works would actually save me, would actually would, would, would allow for me to be saved. I never struggled with that. I never believed. I knew in my head that, that Christ died for my sins and that he did the work to, to save me and that I needed to believe in him. I never believed that by doing good, more good works that somehow I would qualify and to go to heaven. But you know what I struggle with? I struggle with this, the work of sanctification, the work of spiritual growth. I felt like it was on me. It was on me to push as, as, as hard as I can to fuel my spiritual growth through my own Activity through my own effort, through my own discipline. I needed to demonstrate how much I really love God. And it's so subtle, it is so subtle how that creeps into our life. And I want to ask you, just take a moment to pause and to ask yourself, are you trying to power your own spiritual growth through your own effort? And through your own strength? Are you trying to bridge that sanctification gap through the spiritual disciplines? You know, for much of my post-college years into the 30s, my paradigm for spiritual growth was largely centered around how hard I was trying in bringing into my life the spiritual disciplines. And when someone asked me, how are you doing spiritually? My thought immediately went to, how often I read the Bible this past week. When I heard a good sermon, I, I basically started to plan and think about how I'm going to now apply this in my life. But there was this, this part of me, there was this part of me in which I felt the burden to, to do this now, to somehow do it by my own strength. You know, Paul discusses this whole concept in the book of Galatians. And he argues to the Galatian church 
in verse, chapter 3, verse 3. He says, Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, the Galatian church, they, they had heard the gospel, then they had accepted the gospel through Paul's preaching. But now these Judaizers had come to the church and they were saying, yeah, you do receive Christ by faith, but in order for you to grow, in order for you to become truly righteous, you do have to start doing these additional things. And in some ways for me, I believed, yes, Christ died for my sins. He forgave me. He brought me into the kingdom. He did that work that I couldn't do. But now it's on me. If I just work harder, if I just read the Bible more, if I just pray more, if I just try a little bit harder, then I'll grow. And I'll grow. This attempt to perfect ourselves through the flesh, this is moralism. This is not the gospel. It's moralism. And you and I, I tell you today, we are constantly tempted. We are constantly tempted to bring moral, to practice moralism in our life. My professor uh, that taught spiritual formation, of which much of this material I've, I've learned from, defines moralism like this. He calls moralism the attempt of the hidden heart, not conscious, to try to perfect oneself in the power of the self, the attempt to use service, ministry, obedience, spiritual formation, spiritual disciplines, spiritual experiences, being good to relieve the burden of spiritual failure, lack of love, and the guilt and shame that results. To try to relieve the burden that Christ alone can relieve. I had not realized that for much of my 20s and my 30s, that the reason that I felt the heavy burden often when I thought about my spiritual life was that I basically believed that it was up to me. That God had done the good work of giving me all the resources. He had provided amazing pastors and mentors. He had given, he's even given me an instruction manual in the Bible. He had given me these great spiritual experiences. So now it's up to me. It's up to me to take that and now to respond by trying harder. And I tried. I really did try. I was active in every church that I've served at since my college days. And I served as a bivocational youth pastor for four years. I led worship. I led small group. I led mission trips. I tried to study the Bible and pray. But you know, that feeling of burden never went away. There was a constant sense of guilt and shame that I was not doing enough, that I was not changing enough. And that burden helped me to see, God helped me to see that that burden I was carrying was because I was thinking that it was up to me. It was up to my discipline. It was up to my self-control and my ability to push myself to grow. In verse 27, Jesus says, Only the Son 
knows the Father. Only the Son knows the Father. And unless He chooses to reveal the Father, we cannot know God. Jesus has to teach us about God. And so, when He says, come unto me, He's not calling us to an endless list of do's and don'ts. He's not calling us to a list of spiritual activities. He's not calling us to a system. But he's, as we all know, he's calling us unto a personal relationship with him. This passage, along with John 15, about the vine and the branches, became to me a new picture of Christ saying, it is impossible for you to grow apart from me. It is impossible for you to know me unless I teach you. And the conviction that comes for me came from John 15, 5, when you start to really, truly believe, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. My spiritual life was a heavy burden because I was so fixed on what I was doing. I should be doing more of rather than coming to Jesus first and learning from me, learning from him. And that leads to the second point that I want us to see in this passage and and that Jesus here then offers to us a personal invitation. He offers a personal invitation in the here and now to teach us about this new life with God. Jesus offers each of us a personal invitation in the here and now to teach us about this new life with God. Now, what's surprising about this passage is that Jesus says, hey, come, all who are weary and laden, come and I'll give you rest. Right? And that's what you see on the Christian posters. But the next verse is, take my yoke upon you. It's very, uh, it's tough to marry those two verses. When you think about rest, I don't think each of us immediately think about putting on a yoke and doing work. And so the question is, why does Jesus use the phrase yoke in this passage? What is it about that word picture that signifies this new life with God? A yoke was basically a, a farming tool in which it, it was basically a harness that you put together two animals and it would, it would link them up together and it will be used most, most often on oxen to, to plow the ground. And in the Old Testament, when you hear the word yoke, you often was used in the context of, of slavery and being uh, slaves to other nations. But in this, in this context where Jesus is preaching, it was actually a common phrase used by Jewish rabbis in which they were saying, when you become a yoke of, of a rabbi, you became a pupil. You became a, a formal disciple. You entered into a formal relationship where he would be your rabbi or your teacher. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's actually offering a call, an invitation, saying, come and be my disciple. Come be my pupil, my student, and learn from me. Just like the calling of the disciples, Andrew and Peter and John, that we read about, 
this passage is a call by Jesus to us to enter into a formal discipling, apprentice, student relationship where Christ himself becomes our teacher. You know, this picture of God, this picture of Christ was actually for me a very new picture for me. It was something that I was very unfamiliar with. Perhaps like um, like perhaps many of us here um, have experienced what I experienced growing up in that I was basically a, a latchkey kid. You know, uh, my parents worked Monday through Saturday. I, uh, when I came home, usually from school, it was, I came home to an empty house. I spent a lot of time by myself growing up. You know, I had to teach myself how to do most things. Uh, I, had this, I gave the same speech to my son Paul every time I'm driving him to some tournament. I say, hey, Paul, you're so lucky. I would have loved to have gone to this tournament with my dad growing up. No one coached me when I was your age. You know, we do that whole talk all the time. You know, for me, it was, I, I trained by going to the park with the ball and imitating what I saw on TV. I don't think I had proper form in any of the sports that I played. Um, and in many ways, I translated that same experience, that same behavior to my spiritual life. I was being used to being alone most of the time. And like my relationship with my parents, I knew that God loved me. I knew that he was there if I needed him. You know, Just like my time with my parents, we would have these great times together. But I was used to being alone. I was more accustomed to a model where I would, I would have these short times where we would get together and, and learn and fellowship and hang out. And then I would be off on my own during the week. I wasn't really used to a father who wanted to relate with me and dialogue with me and listen to me. I have a great relationship with my dad now. But growing up, I never had a, come here, son, let's talk about life. It was most often, did you eat? How are you doing in school? It was that conversation over and over again. Uh, and uh, and and when I watched shows like, you know, The Cosby Show or Full House or, you know, Growing Pains when they had that, you know, end of show time when the father was talking, I longed for that. I, I thought that was great. You know, in these verses, I, I began to see that Jesus was, was offering this type of relationship to us, this kind of intimate, discipling relationship that I always wanted to have, but I was completely foreign to me. You know, in John 16, Jesus says something really profound to the disciples. He says, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go away. But you want me to go away. Because it's an advantage to you. Because if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit. And that passage is, is mind-blowing. Because if I were disciples, I'd say, I want you. I don't think this is an advantage to have some Spirit that I cannot see. I'd rather have a face-to-face live-in, and I'd rather have this. But Christ says, no, you want me to go because you want this Holy Spirit. 
In John 16, verse 13 to 14, he says this. He goes, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, and he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you hear that? He has many things that he wants to say to us. Jesus was saying to the disciples, Hey, I've got more to say to you, but don't worry. I'll talk later with you through the Holy Spirit. For me, it was foreign to have this type of relationship with God where he wanted to dialogue with me, that he had things that he wanted to say to me as I began to carry the heavy burden and try to do my spiritual disciplines, I had somehow shut out in my life this life with God where he wanted to speak with me and he wanted me to hear his voice. And just as Christ was able to continue his dialogue with the disciples after he left, just as he was able to do that, he now offers the same promise to you and me to also continue to have a dialogue where he speaks to us in the daily rhythms of our life. Do you believe that? That that is the kind of relationship that Christ wants to have for us. And this was a new paradigm for me. Seeing God as a teacher and discipler in the normal parts of my life. Similar to what the disciples experienced when they walked with Jesus and Jesus would teach them from everyday examples that Christ wanted to do the same with me through the Holy Spirit. For me, it was a picture of this perfect Father who is always available. He knows what to say and what not to say. He's always gentle with me. He has the best intentions for me. He is patient and he's loving. And he knows every detail of my life. He's known me since I was born. He knows how I'm wired. He sees all that I've been through in both the public and the private moments. He knows my deepest pains, my deepest insecurities, my deepest fears. He's been there in all those times. And now he offers to speak to me, teach me. You know, I spent a big part of this message trying to pic- paint a picture for us of a new type of relationship with God from these verses that I begin to see. And so let me just quickly transition now to how this worked itself out in my life, how, it, how I experienced this. As I shared with you, I, I, had a moment, I had a season where I was desperate, and the more I tried, the heavier the burden I felt. And now this new picture of a relationship with God came into my life. And it was, it was like as an adult now trying to learn something new. You know? And have you guys done something like this where you sign up for a class? And as an adult now, you're not a kid anymore. You're not being sent to some class to learn something. But now you're an adult. You're in your 40s. And maybe you sign up to learn 
how to do the waltz, or you sign up for yoga, or you decide to pay for a personal trainer, and now you nervously go to your first class, and you meet your instructor, and there's fellow classmates. Inevitably, you enter into this period of awkwardness, right? Where you're there, it's not, it doesn't feel right. You don't feel like you're getting it. You know, you, you have to trust that what your instructor is saying is right, and yet it goes against everything that you, you know, and you're tempted to quit. You're tempted to leave after that first class. I was like that with my first yoga class <laughs> and other things I've tried, and I, I haven't gone back since. Um, but you're, you're so tempted to quit because it doesn't come easily, and you feel like at your age, gosh, you know, I'm too old to try to do new, 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 learn new things. You feel like you're not learning fast enough. You feel like you're not getting it because you're putting in, being put in positions that you're not used to. And that's exactly what it felt like for me as I began to reorient my spiritual life, my life with God, away from the things that I had in my mind that I should do or what I was not doing or what I should be doing more of to this new life with God where he wanted to be my tutor. He wanted to be my discipler. And he was calling me to learn from him. And he wanted to walk with me in the day-to-day rhythms of my life. You know, let me show you a a clip from my favorite TV show. I've watched this TV show multiple times. My wife will tell you. She doesn't understand it. And it's called West Wing. I love it. It's about, I hope, is there anyone else that loves West Wing or is it just me? All right, okay. Thank you. It's a great show. It's, It's a show about these staffers that work in the White House. And in this scene are two scenes that show a character named CJ, and she is the chief of staff to the president. Very powerful position. And in this scene, in these two scenes, she's discussing with her future fiancé what her life is going to be like after the White House, after her term ends. You know, I love, I love the clip because it illustrates exactly how I felt entering into this new relationship with God. It shows some of the awkwardness that I started to feel when I started to invite God's voice into my life. I was so used to making all the decisions and just living my life just through what I thought God wanted me to do rather than being open to this dialogue. If I could give an illustration of what my prayer life was like, I felt like I was basically texting God things that I felt like he wanted me to say to him. But I felt like God was inviting me into a dialogue where he wanted me to be honest with him, to open up my life. And in in following God, I found that he started to take me places that I didn't think I wanted to go, but I needed to go. He took me to places of exploring my own brokenness. He helped me bring up, process some old memories in my life of, of hurt. 
felt like Christ was in my house and saying, I want you to open this door. And it had been bolted shut with excuses like, that happened because God wanted me to be a stronger, more resourceful person. Christ wanted me to open those doors, to explore those places that I had not explored with him. I started to journal more. I started to go on walks again with God. I started to leave some room in my prayer life to just sit and listen and to be in solitude. And for the first time, and I'm a little bit ashamed to say this, but in my late 30s, I began to slow down a little bit and try to hear God's voice again in my life, try to again find my voice before God in prayer. And just like CJ in that room, I I was really awkward. There were times when I wanted to quit because I felt like I was just talking to myself in a room. But the more I pursued, the more I began to sense God's loving, gentle presence in my life again. And I can honestly say right now that I feel like I'm in the beginning of this new journey with God. I can't tell you exactly what it's like. I can't tell you, you know, you got to do these five things. But you know what's gone is that burden, that constant heavy burden that I'm not doing enough. Now, I'm amazed by the gentle, loving touch of God in my life and how often he wants to speak and how often he wants to teach me. I'm open to hear more of his voice in my life. As I close, there's this quote from Dallas Willard, and Dallas Willard has this amazing ability to perfectly kind of summarize something in a very simple way. And I believe he, he shared this in a lecture, and he said, the Christian life is not active, it is not passive, but it's interactive. The Christian life is not active, it is not passive, but it is interactive. And I found those words to be a good picture of this passage that it is not active in the sense that it is based on my own initiative, my own fervor my own action it is not passive and then I just sit back and let God do all the work but it is interactive where I take upon Christ's yoke, I take upon his teaching and he teaches me and I learn from him and we journey in life My prayer today is that, as I've shared about this passage, that it gives you also a picture of the life that Christ offers us. Let's pray.